welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, starting a new series for the next three weeks is always fun. I'm going to kick it off here. We're going to be in uh, Deuteronomy. You're saying, Deuteronomy? What's that all about? I don't know. We'll find out. It's called Living on the Edge. That's our series because they're on the edge of the Promised Land. They're sitting there by the Jordan River ready to, ready to go at it, man, ready just to get in there and slug it out and win the land. So uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to call this title, the title of this specific message, I'm calling it uh, Change the Future by Owning the Past. Change the future by owning your past. Got that? We could probably go home right now. That's how, that's how clear this is going to be. Now, Deuteronomy is the book that Jesus quoted the most, so we should pay some pretty close attention to what's in here. I would encourage you through the next three weeks to read through it. But we're going to discover this book, and this book is a people who began to really believe what Moses was saying and believe their future was there for them, that they became... These people of faith became a people of mission and on mission. But in order for that to happen, Moses had to sit them all down as grandpa, because he's pretty much grandpa, and you'll see why in a moment at this point, and have a talk with them. Deuteronomy is also called the second law because he's repeating the law to them and the covenant that God made with them and uh, getting them ready to move into their future. But in order for them to do that, he had to make sure that they were clearly aware of what happened in the past. Deuteronomy 1.8 says, See, I have given you this land. Go into, the, go into it and take possession of the land the Lord swore that he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants after them. So here it is. They are being challenged to rise up in faith and take some bold steps. The first one was to get across this flood river, Jordan. We'll talk about that when we get into Joshua. So this is going to take some great faith to go in there with the sword and begin to fight, to begin to lay hold of what God has for them. The Bible does say, again, remember, the just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And for you to connect with your dreams and to pursue your tomorrow and to lay hold of what God has for you, you have to be a people of faith, a people who will rise up in faith and believe what God has for you, says about you, and walk it out. Amen? Okay, nice Presbyterian church we have going here. <laughs> Goodness, you're quiet. You know, your first service is really quiet today. I don't know if it's the overcast. Funny how the weather affects us in different ways. That's okay. I was a little quiet too. But uh, the book, here it is. The book um, <clears throat> is the words of Moses speaking to the people of Israel, again, who are on the verge of entering the land of Canaan, the promised land. And this is his last sermon, his last message to him. He doesn't get to go in. So he's throwing it down, hoping they're going to pick it up. He's telling them, look, if you're going to break free of the habits of the past and enter into something new that God has for you to possess your tomorrow, then that is possible. But you have to deal with some things. You have to be aware of some things. But everybody that he was talking to had the possibility of a fresh start. And that was pretty exciting back then. 
especially when you've been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. So the book begins with this flashback. And it, it, it's here where Moses uh, was camped out with his people on the edge of the Jordan, and they're about to go into this land. And so beginning in chapter 1 verse with verse 6, Moses goes back and tells the story of what happened 40 years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, and that was at Mount Sinai, where they camped out for a whole year after crossing the Red Sea and being delivered. They were there for a whole year, getting their ducks in a row, you know, getting the tabernacle at the center of the camp. We talked all about that in Numbers. And then spied out the land, and of course that went south on them, and they had to wander for the next 39 years after that. So here it is, Mount Horeb, there, there they are. It says, You have stayed there long enough at this mountain. That was after a year they were there. It says, time to march. Then he tells the stories how the people refused to trust God, and they rebelled against God, and they did not go into the land of Canaan, therefore 40 years of wandering in the desert as a consequence of the rebellion. After 40 years, all the men of fighting age, the Bible says, which was 18 to 20 years old, at the time of Exodus, when they came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, sitting at Mount Sinai, where they camped for a year, all those people died. The next 40 years, that generation would die out. That's a lot of people. That's a whole generation. Therefore, after 40 years, which is where we're at now, after 40 years, or 40 years later, nobody after uh, the age of 58 is alive. Think about that. Everyone that was at Mount Sinai, after they were delivered out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, 18 years, 20 years or so, they're all dead, that whole generation. All the adults that came out of Egypt, standing at that mountain, got to make this clear. And that's where God gave the law, made a covenant, entered the promised land, none of them did. So all the children at the time of Exodus, who were under the age of, you know, 18 or so, at the time of Mount Sinai, those people now that Moses is addressing are between 40 and 58 years old. The oldest person in the nation of Israel at that time is 58 years old. Boy, how do you, how do you know that's pretty young? That's a young nation. That's, that's almost mind-boggling. Now, if you think back 40 years ago from now, it would be the 70s, right? I don't know what you remember about the 70s, but I remember big hair and perms and barracudas and pintos, 8-track tapes, players, 8-tracks, yeah. They had cassettes too, but 8-tracks were the cool. And some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about when I went there. I, know, I get it. But those who are 40 years and older only have a vague memory of, the, of Egypt, right? They're just like, oh, I think I remember Egypt. I mean, their parents died pretty young, very young nation. The only people over 60 are Moses, who's actually over 100 now, so he's like grandpa. And, of course, Joshua and Caleb, I'm not sure how old they were. They weren't 100, but they were, you know, somewhere around 50, 60, I don't know. I didn't research that one out. You know, you get tired of researching after a while. But um, you can imagine the generation gap between these three guys and the, hundred and the million or so people. It's like a whole generation is missing. And uh, so here it is. There, if you're under the age of 40, then you would be 
you would be the ones who were born in the desert. If you're between 40 and 58 years old, then when you're at Mount Sinai, I mean, you were pretty young. You were like 12 years old when you crossed the Red Sea. How about that for a 12-year-old experience? Walking across the Red Sea, dry ground, pretty amazing. So for those who are over 58, like Joshua, Caleb, Moses, thank you, God, we're still alive. We're the only ones, right, of that generation. Pretty amazing. So Deuteronomy 1.6, we'll read it again. It says, the Lord your God said to us at Horeb, you stayed here long enough at this mountain. And he's talking about what happened 40 years ago. You stayed there long enough, time to get going. Most of the people weren't born yet, or they were very young or too young to even remember. Now, let's look what, let's look what Moses says to these guys. You know, they got, he's got their attention. I mean, Moses is the man. He's grandpa. They're all looking at him, and, and they're listening. And this is what he has to say, verse 26 through 32. He says, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt with fear. They said the people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are larger, and the walls are up to the sky. We even saw the Analekites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. So Moses is looking at all these guys out there. He says, hey, you did this. Now, why is Moses saying that to them? I mean, if you were there, you might even interrupt Moses and say, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, Moses. What, what gives? Why are you saying this to us? We're not the ones who did all that. I was 12 at the time. Some of these guys weren't even born yet. What's going on here? Our parents did this, not us. How can you say we refused to go to uh, enter the promised land? We grumbled against God and did all that stuff when our parents did that. What's going on? So was, was Moses lecturing them about their, I mean, was he blaming the sins of the parents on the kids? That's kind of weird. No, he wasn't doing that at all. What do you, it was his teaching moment for Moses. He was talking to these guys and hoping that they would learn from their parents and the mistakes that they made, learning from their history so they don't repeat it. And what Moses was saying was actually still true today. What's in your parents is still in you or has that great potential of being in you. So we, we will, look, we're going to face the same temptations, nothing's new under the sun, and the same struggles that they did. That's where they're at. What defeated them can defeat you. So everyone has to learn from the past and not to make the same mistakes. This is why I'm calling this change your future by owning your past, owning the past. So what's the past that these guys need to own? Was it, what was it that was in these people that Moses is addressing that was in their parents? That's actually really part of human nature. It's actually in all of us. We all have to overcome what Moses was talking to them about and addressing. And I'm just going to step through that one passage we read, and we'll look at some of these and see where we go from there. Because the first one was rebellion against God. I mean, it's human nature. That's, we're prone to rebel against God. Moses says this in Deuteronomy 1.26. But you were unwilling to go up and rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. 
This means that the effect of sin is obviously in all of us here and, and the human race, and it's by nature that we are bent on uh, resenting God or uh, resisting his authority over our life. The old nature wants to be independent of God. The old nature wants to do its own thing and be its own savior. We see that in society all around us. We got the answers. We don't need God. I'm God. That's basically what they're saying. So that's the first problem. The second one, treat God with contempt. Deuteronomy 127. It says, you grumbled in your tents against God or against, and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. I mean, the Lord hates us? How many think that's kind of harsh? That's the kind of people they were dealing with back then. I mean, they just, oh, God hates us. What? I mean, God delivered them out of Egypt to destroy us. That's what they're saying. Let me tell you, deliverance from Egypt was an absolute miracle, hands down, of God's grace and love. He, God destroys the most powerful leader in the world, along with his army, the most powerful army in the world, and just hands down delivers them and, and call, brings them out of 400 years of brutal slavery to give them a future with God now at the center of their life. And they're treating God's miracle of deliverance with absolute contempt. They've twisted and perverted God's miraculous deliverance as though it were some devious plot that God has been conspiring behind the scenes so he can finally just destroy him. I mean, isn't that just twisted? Well, this is human nature. Human nature gets really twisted. Treats God with contempt. I mean, how many times have we held back praise for God's goodness instead of Praising him. Or just uh, getting upset because, God, why am I going through this trouble or this pain right now? It's your fault. Come on. And we get in a terrible predicament and, well, God, you got to do something about this because you're really messing things up. It's human nature. It's human nature to go down that road. Here's another one. I... I blame others. Uh, Deuteronomy 128 says, Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are large with the walls up to the sky. We even saw the Analekites there. Now, so what they're saying is it's our brother's fault. Remember, 40 years ago, the spies went in to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb came back with a great report. We can take these guys. The other 10 spies started spreading fear. They said, we can't do it. They're going to eat us for lunch. They're, gi they're giants. This is not going to work. And the people believed the ten spies gave way to fear. And now they're saying, well, it's their fault. They're the ones who told us. It's their, they, they did it, you know. That's the problem of blame is when you blame people, it makes us, makes me powerless to change because it's their fault. I can't change it. Everybody else's fault. You know, I think Jesus said something about we're prone to see the speck in our brother's eye and miss the plank that's in our own. <laughs> We're dealing with human nature here, right? Now, here's the next one. We, we resist the truth. Deuteronomy 129.31 says this. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son all the way you went 
until you reach this place. And see, back then, what was Moses doing right there? He was pleading with the people who were full of fear. And he was pouring his word into them and exhorting them. And he's encouraging them. And it doesn't make any difference. The words just, they don't take root. They just bounce off their rebellious hearts. Does, no, it doesn't change them. In, in verse 32, Deuteronomy 1, it says, In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. So it's human nature to hear the word, in a sense, and, and not trust the word of God and resist the truth. Resist the truth. Romans talks about that, how society resists the truth, right? And finally, he just gives us over to him, ourselves, turns us over. The other one was refuse to believe. Deuteronomy 1, 32, 33 says, In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, a fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. And this is, again, the reality of the fallen condition. By, by human nature, we tend to be suspicious of God, uh, tend to hold back and not really fully trust or be devoted to him, trusting him, trusting his word. Uh, God is now at the center of their camp. We talked about numbers. They arrange themselves around the tabernacle, which God's presence, and then they were very careful how they handled that. And, of course, God would you know, be with them in a, pillar of fire at night, leading them in a cloud by day. And so his presence, physically there, really powerful, yet they still would not fully believe or trust him. With all of that, our fallen nature, our human nature resists faith. It resists this call to believe God and fully live this surrendered life. There's something in this that says, well, just hold on a minute, God. I think I got this, right? Um. And then the last one he mentions is that the, by nature I am under the wrath of God, Deuteronomy 1.34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your ancestors. And that's where that whole generation died out. None of them entered. By nature, um, in a sense, well, we're actually by nature alienated from God under his wrath. Rightly so. I mean, every person born into this life, you know, we're, we're, we, we're in this fallen nature. We're under God's judgment. And there's, there's no way any of us really can enter into our promised land. It's closed off unless you have chose to follow Jesus and to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Then everything changes. The promised land is opened up, not only now, but for the future heaven that he has for us. That, that opens up. But now Moses is making a clear, uh, making it really clear to those he's speaking to that all of what he was saying was in their parents, in them as well, or had that great potential. And they need to be aware of that. This, this, is human, this is the human condition. This is what plagues the human race because of the fall. And that's what happened in the garden way back. It doesn't matter really who you are, male, female, social, economic status, your pedigree, wherever you came from. None of that matters because uh, we all wrestle with this stuff that I just mentioned to some degree. Even after you give your life to Christ, it's amazing how that old nature tries to claw its way back and gain its place of control once again until we mature beyond certain things. This is what sin has done to us, and this is what 
we need to be saved from. And a lot of people uh, fully uh, realize, until they fully realize what they need to be saved from, they're really not that interested. Uh, if everything that kept their parents out of Canaan is in them, well, what hope is that for them? What, what, how are they going to enter the promised land, right? I think, again, we can all see ourselves in this passage as we reflect on what, what we see here. Boy, I tell you what, we can, we can appreciate what God has done and what he has brought us out of. I mean, we've all accused God at some point, been unthankful, blamed others, resisted the truth, rebelled, gone our own way. I can vividly remember before I met Christ, I was under his wrath, under judgment, before I came to Jesus. Now, people often say, well, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. Well, that doesn't really work. This is what the Israelites tried to do 40 years before this, after they realized they really blew it when they believed the wrong report from the spies and they chose not to enter the promised land, they said, oh, wait a minute, we decided we're just going to go ahead and take the promised land today. We're going to do this after all, God. And God's like, nah, don't do it. I'm not going to be with you. You're going to lose. It's not going to be good. Don't do it. Don't do it. Nah, we don't need you, God. We're going to go do it. And they went and did it. And, of course, that didn't go well. The enemy chased them, and they were soundly defeated because something inside them never changed. They were still the same old, hard, rebellious people trying to take something that now wasn't for them for the taking. And turning over a new leaf just doesn't work because it requires a transformed heart. Because what follows a transformed heart, it only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Then new attitudes and motives and everything follows that and fruit. What's inside is transformed, has a way of working its way out eventually, and it's good. Well, that didn't happen to them. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 1 to 2, where do you go from here? Well, there's good news. It says, Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare to you that you're hearing here today. Learn from them. He said, look, learn from them. Follow them. Keep your nose clean. He's just like, come on, you guys. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Who's he talking about? With us. Who was us? And what was their parents? He made a covenant with them way back 40 years ago. Now, either they were very young at that point or some weren't even born. And here's Deuteronomy chapter 3, number 5, verse 3. He says this, it was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us here today. And he tells them, well, you guys too. That covenant was for you. He made a covenant before you were even born, he's saying. And it's for you. And that covenant, that covenant of grace is made for you and I before we were born. That covenant is for you. It's for me. And that covenant says he's going to redeem all of us from all who have rebelled against God who have held God and treated him with contempt and blamed others and who wouldn't take responsibility for their actions and who have resisted the truth and who are living under the wrath of God. He has made a covenant with all. And that covenant says that God is, is determined to redeem a people like that that I just mentioned through his son, Jesus Christ. And that covenant, written on stone back then, now when you come to Christ, it's written on our hearts. 
And it's this new covenant that he calls us to that was made long before any of us were born. It was sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are no longer standing at the foot of Mount Sinai with the Israelites, but you and I today are standing in our hearts at Mount Calvary before Jesus Christ. And he has made a new covenant. It's a different mountain and a different time, but it's for us. And it was on that mountain where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross, was murdered for you and I, took the wrath of God for you and I. His blood was shed to seal this new covenant for you and I and has opened up a new and living way for us here today so that we could come to him and be forgiven and not be defined by that which is in the past, but move fully into our future unhindered. He's made a way for that to happen. There's two enormous in events that have happened in the past that impact every one of us today. One was in the Garden of Eden with the first Adam who sinned. And because of that act, sin entered the human race, has infested and infected everything. And that's what we struggle with and strive against and battle with and tries to wrestle us to the ground and we fight it off and come to Jesus and are set free from any of those things. And then the next event was the Garden of Gethsemane, not Eden, where Jesus Christ said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he marches to the cross to Mount Calvary. And it's that place where we put our trust in him <clears throat> and what he did on that mountain for you and I. The second Adam, Jesus Christ. And when we trust him, we are made a new creation and we can stand forgiven. And now we have a chance in life to seize our future without the past holding us down. That's how we change the future, by owning our past. Not only owning our past, but owning the past in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That secures something for you and I today. Owning the past by what's mine, by human sin nature, but also owning the past by Jesus Christ, his righteousness becoming mine. But I've got to own what's in me by that simple nature, that life apart from God, that one part that was corrupted. But when I look to Jesus, I, I get to embrace this free gift of eternal life. It's, it's free, and it's, it's not earned, as we sang earlier. It's the simple gospel that's received by faith who paid for our sin. It's that grace. It's the goodness of God that was on display through his son, Jesus Christ. It's that goodness that leads us to repentance. The Bible does say the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Now, if I want what's mine by grace through Jesus who paid for it, then I lay hold of it by faith. And I become one of those people that's on mission. But through his son, empowered by the spirit. It's this promised life, the promised life that we all want. Now, Moses is telling the people, that you'll, you're all going to face the same fears and the same struggles and the same temptations that your parents did. It's, it's this human nature. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow what's in you by nature, or are you going to receive what's yours by grace? What will you do? Will you follow the impulses of unbelief, or will you faith put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and walk out this new and living way he has for us? I said at the beginning, these people, this people of faith, including you and I, become a people on mission. 
we get a people, we, we, have, we, we become a people that has all of a sudden a vision for our tomorrow because now we see the possibility of it because of what Jesus has accomplished. Repentance isn't just for unbelievers who need to receive Jesus by turning away from sin, the old life, and trusting in him. Repentance and faith is also for the believer. To, that's what Christians do to live as a Christian. That's how we grow. That's how we become more like Jesus, when we respond to discipline that he brings into our life by owning our mistakes, by remaining humble and teachable and growing in the grace of God. Otherwise, we just make decisions that don't really bring change and have no fruit. But he says, repentance brings fruit if it's done correctly, a turning away and a faith trust in Jesus. So as a, I'll have the worship team make their way out. As a, so as a believer, when I say something I know is wrong and I'm checked, I change that part. I begin to work on the transformation of that part of my life. If I have an attitude that creeps up that I know shouldn't be there, uh, am I quick to own it before God and renounce that thing, repent and turn away from it and allow him to work that in me, that change in me? Old patterns want to creep up. Old nature is, wants to gain control. So we need to run to Jesus as fast as our feet of faith can carry us. I remember many years ago before we had children, uh, Lori, remember you broke your ankle and playing softball? She slid in the home base, and that gal wasn't moving. Collision. She made a home run, but she broke her ankle in the process. That was the last of her softball days. She decided, mm, time to stop. We carried her off the field. I remember filling out insurance forms. I worked on the slope at the time for BP, and uh, I think the first year we got married, I think, yeah. And I was sitting there at the table, and I was answering all these ridiculous questions. I mean, the more questions I answered, the matter I got. I had a temper back then, and there's a story behind that. The Lord had to work with me and deal with my old temper. And he did over time. He, he, he wouldn't let me go. He kept his finger on me. And uh, I remember, though, this is still when I was wrestling with this hot temper, this hot, fiery temper I had. <laughs> and I was answering these questions, and the questions, I felt like they were just accusing me of trying to cheat the insurance company or something. And the more I did it, the more madder I got. By the time I got to the end of the form, I just signed it really hard. <laughs> I think I did it that way, too. I think I growled or whatever. And Lori kind of looked at me like, man, are you losing your head? You're, there you go again. And... And then I, I didn't feel much better when I got done, but I sure was mad. And it was really ridiculous. But what was interesting, when I moved the papers aside, I noticed that my signature was now engraved in the top of my table. Mm-hmm. Yep. I felt like the Lord say, is that, what you, is that the impression you want to make on your loved ones and the people around you? Is that what you want engraved on your kids one day? I felt really bad. I thought, okay, this is, I really need to get serious about this. I need to learn. I need to learn from mistakes of the past if I'm going to move into my future. I need, there's, some there's some things in my heart that I need to change and get radical with if I'm going to cross this chasm and this barrier in my life that keeps raising its ugly head. And the Lord did. He took me on a journey uh, for several years before that ugly thing quit raising its head. Because I had to change the future by owning the past. And look, we all have stuff. I get it. 
And, and you know what? Tomorrow, the Lord will probably show me something else in my life where I'll have to go, ooh, never saw that before. Okay, here we go again. If we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that growth pattern will continue until you meet Jesus one day. And that's okay. Don't be condemned. Don't be bummed out about it. Be happy he's showing you things and be excited about dealing with it and moving into your future. Because you're no longer under God's wrath or judgment if you're following Jesus. You're in a good place. You know where you're at? You're in God's family. But the thing is, is when you're in God's family, now you've got to deal with family business. Now you've got family responsibilities. And he's a good father. And he knows how to raise good kids. He knows how to raise warriors and people who will be responsible and not blame or, or, you know, turn a blind eye to really what we need to, like, focus on and not live in denial and be responsible and deal with family issues, family business, family responsibilities. Father God does that for us. And he says, remember this, or he'll show you something, he'll say, you can't brush that off because you got little kids around you or you got people you work with or you got relationships and well they see it you know how many know a lot of people see stuff way before we do <laughs> if you're you know finally you're, you're dealing with something they're all going they're all going finally it's been six years you know we're just like having this revelation you know <laughs> god is so patient and good and so let's deal with issues now so our kids don't have to Let's move into the future. Got to do it by owning the past. Let's stand. What is God speaking to you about today? Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.